Hello and welcome to Newspeak, the New Culture Forum's look at the weekly news agenda. We had a bit of a gap last week, but we're back now in the dog days of summer. I'm very pleased to, as usual, be joined by our senior fellows, Rafe Hedermanku, historian and royal commentator, and Dr. Philip Kisley from Leeds. Um, we're going to be talking about, well, first of all, you might be one of them, but there's something like 2.5 million people now on long-term sickness benefits. Is that really plausible? Then we have, in Germany, the AFD party, uh, there are calls for it now, actually from on high, to be banned. And finally, you might have seen that our good friend in City Hall, City Khan, uh, has been crowing <coughs> about a new festival of black culture called Black on the Square, which is going to be uh, with us shortly. So we're going to be looking at a wide variety of things this week. Um, starting with this extraordinary figure, actually, Philip, uh, 2.5 million people on long-term sickness benefits in this country. In other words, people of workable, you know, working age. Yeah. Um, do you think that this, first I want to say a genuine figure, it's obviously a genuine figure, but do you think this is kind of still one of the results of COVID? Or do you think there's been a cultural change? People just don't want to work anymore? I, th I think there has been a cultural change. I think there's um, a generational thing going on as well. I think lots of young people don't want to work um, because they see uh, quality of life. They see that they, they often don't, don't need to work because financially they don't have to and, and they just want to do other things. I, I, I come across that all the time. But I think the, the post-COVID thing, yes, is really important. Uh, I'm not quite sure of the demographics here. I've just talked about young people. There will be an element of that. But the idea of sickness, the idea mm. of you know being on benefits, being on mm. sickness benefits, is probably older people. And I just wonder if it's the kind of people who would be working in the public sector. I don't know. No, I'm saying no, you're just, you're just uh, speculating. I'm are you? speculating, but right. it might well be that that long COVID thing of of, of, of staying at home and, and 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 doing that kind of thing. I don't know. I've got no idea. But I'm just flabbergasted by the insane number. Something's happening. Is this something to do with you know? There's been suggested that there's just been an increase in physical and mental ill health. Well, 400,000 of the two and a half million are getting benefits for anxiety and other mental disorder, mental right. health issues like that, uh, along, along with other things like problems with your wrist, carpal tunnel syndrome and all the rest. Now, what sort of checks go through? Because we've also had it reported not a few months ago, I think, that people don't have to act can claim benefits without ever actually actively seeking for work either. But the point you mentioned is quite interesting, Philip, when you talk about people uh, having long COVID and being, you know, being you know, too, too lazy to get out of the house. Of course, now we're living in this era, era of remote working, aren't mm -hmm. we, as well? Mm -hmm. So despite the fact that, that people can work from their home, they still are choosing not to do so. It is interesting. Look, it only takes around, you know, three months usually to change uh, someone's uh, way of life or indeed to change a society's way of life. Mm -hmm. COVID lockdowns provided much more than that. We had two years essentially yes. of people living at home and not working. I, uh, one of my own cousins went through this and didn't really have the motivation to go back to mm -hmm. work because they got so used to, to it and so comfortable mm -hmm. staying at home. I think it is a serious problem. Yeah. There's another <clears> issue here too, of course, which we, we should also acknowledge. And that's of course the NHS backlog as well. Mm -hmm. When you have so many millions of appointments that are 
that have been missed or delayed, important surgeries and people going undiagnosed for a long time. I'm sure there are some people genuinely mm. who are suffering at home and they simply haven't had their causes addressed or they've led to, to more serious health problems. So we shouldn't be too flippant about all of that side of things. But yes, generally there is something that's gone on. We know for a fact people over 50 now, that is the demographic in this country more than anywhere else in the G7, that we're having a problem getting over 50s back into the workplace. Mm. And the solution of the government, rather than trying to address those, is to rely on cheap labour. We even have the Chancellor yeah, of the Exchequer now, Jeremy Hunt, who has actually explicitly said that we need to have immigration as a, at least a short-term solution to all mm. this. I think also there's, there's a difference, isn't there? There's a, a medicalization of the usual stresses and strains of life mm -hmm. and, and the mm -hmm. idea that everybody's under stress. So if, if things aren't going exactly as I want them to do or I'm having to work really mm -hmm. hard, then I'm under stress, then that's a pathology, then I can stay off work. And I, and I think there's a whole, it, that's not just uh, employees and employers, that's, that's GPs as well who will, who will give you a, a note uh, for, for pretty much anything. So that whole kind of anxiety and depression culture, and I think it is a culture, feeds massively into it as well. It's very, yeah. it's very difficult to say, isn't it? Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious and depressed. Well, come into work. You know, you, you can't do that. It's one of those things. Yes, that's, I, that's I, mean, I agree. It's one of the, we, you see, one of the ways in which we live now culturally is that we, you can't you can't sort of have a belief based on a hunch or mm. on anecdotal evidence. It's got to always have data. Mm. And this doesn't have sort of data mm. in a way. But I sort of attempt, sort of agree with you that it's, it's not just the path, pathologizing of small things. It's also like a, dare I say, to sort of, there's a kind of belief now in, if I say weakness, it sounds terrible, doesn't it? But certainly not a belief in strength. Mm. Mm. Well, I'd like, to, I'd like to have compared these stats with, say, 1946 to 1950, yes, yes, right after the yes. Second World War, when people really genuinely did have reasons to mm, have mental mm. health issues when your entire mm. livelihood is lying in rubble around you and you've mm. lost members of your own family. And, of course, we didn't have the sort of welfare benefits then mm. that we have now. And surely, you, and we know for a fact, you didn't have the same degree of, uh, of weakness and, and apathy that was present then. Yeah. But, of course, it's important to remember it's not just two and a half million people. The, the, those two and a half million claiming benefits are those who are doing it for health reasons but there are 5.2 million people claiming out-of-work yeah. benefits and it's costing the Exchequer £26 billion mm. a year. Mm. And so when we, when we worry about our economic growth in this country and the fact that it is stagnating, it's no surprise when you have you know, over 10% of the working population economically inactive, mm. being, being bailed out or being supported mm. by, by the Treasury. So you know, if you want to have a strong functioning economy, mm. we need to get these people back into work. When we have one million vacancies and you have at least two and a half million people inactive, mm. it seems quite obvious that you can easily fill the million vacancies we have without importing labor, mm. but actually reskilling and retraining people and also making the benefit system work more effectively because it's, a, it's not an incentive right now to go into work because right. you will lose those benefits if you go into work. And that's so if there is a way to ensure and guarantee that your benefits won't reduce, at least you'll be able to start people on that road to, to employment yeah. and to dignity. Exactly. I was going to say, it's, such oh. a, it's an unhealthy situation. Yeah, but dignity, if you see, I mean, I, I totally get what you what you're saying, but that is an unknown concept today. Mm. The idea of dignity, that dignity in actually going out and working almost at anything rather than being on the state. Mm. It's, it's just unheard of. People wouldn't know what you're talking about. Well, it's, it's this sense of stoicism as well. The idea that you will, you, you will, you will 
do your job no matter what. Mm. And, it, and it feeds into what you were talking about before, which we, we tend to kind of champion and idolize fragility. Mm. You know, fragility mm. is mm. somehow sophisticated. Fragility, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're clever if you're fragile. There are lots of connotations that come along with that, but economically, culturally, and psychologically, it's mm. very, very bad for us as a country. But what do you, you know when you say about getting people back into work, I mean, I think it was a shocking error, was it not, to even have that kind of, that lockdown thing with the furlough scheme and everything. Mm. Because once you do something like that, it's the devil's own job to sort of, we're sitting here in Westminster, mm. and just up the road is Whitehall. Half of them, if at least, are not back, mm. you know, civil servants. Um, how do you get people back other than just simply saying, well, look, you've got six months, basically, to find a job or whatever it might be, um, you know, after that, your benefits are going to, to cease. I mean, you say that people don't even have to be looking for work anymore. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know. <laughs> and let's not make any mistake about this. The furlough scheme, which was so mm. lauded and, you know, was essential because of the lockdown, but furlough essentially is benefits. Mm. So people have got mm. used to that whole idea. I sit on my ass and I watch television and I'm getting a check every week or every month, however mm. it works. That sets in the, the, the benefit mentality. Mm. Actually, this is more comfortable than going out and, and working. And that's basically a lot of the reason that people over 50 who got, got comfortable with all mm. of this. So yes, you do have to, as I just said, you need to restructure the benefit system so that people don't get penalized for going to work, as is too often the case. Either they, they earn less working than they do from benefits, mm. or they lose their benefits if they go into the workplace. That needs to be changed. And yes, there has to be, I think, a much stricter application of the rules. And people do have to be properly tested as to whether they're deserving of benefits. And I think there's far too much looseness there. But one of the problems here, of course, it's, a, it's one of these, you know, I don't know what you call it, catch-22s, because there aren't enough people working on benefits in the welfare system to actually check up on people. You would think <laughs> there would be yes. a solution there somewhere, yeah, wouldn't yes, you? <laughs> yes, exactly. But it's sort of, um, it, also, what is depressing about it is the, is the admission that it's not just tacit anymore, it's actually there, that, that in fact immigration, therefore, is, is the answer to this. That's what they're saying. Yeah, that, that, We're going that's, to carry on as before. That's, really. that's a dreadful, that's, that's the worst response to this uh, problem you could possibly have because it's just going to compound the problem. Mm. People are just going to, we're going to have a two-tier society of, 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 of low-skill immigrant workers. We're going to have, I'm not quite sure of the demographic, but a, a lot of kind of 50-plus-year-olds just staying at home, being completely inactive. All that experience, all that expertise just sat there, you know, because people don't want to get out of their comfort zone. And I'm not actually using that metaphorically. I'm using that literally. They don't want to leave the house. The fact that we've, we've come to this situation, and for those of us, you know, who, who work around the clock, it's really, it's really annoying, as, as, as you both do. Well, the point, the point I always make out also is that, you know, we did manage to staff our restaurants before the 1990s, you know? Yeah. <laughs> we did have, we did. We did have a, we had full industry. All right, yes, okay, okay, we, we went off to the Caribbean to get bus conductors and people on London Transport. But by and large, you know, and if you watch old films, you know, the old char lady, right? There was always an East End woman, if it was in London, who was, who was doing those duties of cleaning and, and cleaning the lavatories and doing people's mm. houses and so forth. Mm. But the children and the grandchildren don't want to do those jobs anymore because mm. they don't pay enough. Mm. You have to actually increase the salaries of people doing those jobs if you want to attract British workers to do those mm. jobs, mm. as well as tackle the indolence and the and the uh, and the uh, the laziness of people too, to a large degree. But you know, when I went to, to Liverpool, for example, I was amazed at how 
everybody there was from Liverpool who was doing those jobs. The hotel cleaners were all from Liverpool. Mm. Everybody you saw, because it has a very low immigrant population mm. there. And I thought, well, what's happened to the working classes of London mm. that they're actually not engaged in those jobs too? There, there has to be a way to attract them back in. Well, yeah, well uh, physically they've gone. Mm. Yeah, physically they're gone physically too, they're but, gone, but, but they were coming from, I mean, taxi drivers come in from Essex as well, don't they? Mm. But I mean, there just needs to be a way to make those jobs that were once filled by the working classes and others mm. attractive again to the to, Because to those that's populations. that idea of dignity that you were mm. saying. I think there's dignity in any kind of work, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's much more dignified to, you know, to, I think, to clean toilets than to just sit on your backside at home. I mean, before we start to sound, you know, you know there's that famous sketch in Monty Python, you were lucky, we grew the up in Yorkshire, the Yorkshire, 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 yes. Yeah. <laughs> before we uh, start to sound too much like that. Um, what do you believe, what do you think of the idea that actually there's something more uh, fundamental going on here, of what I would call utter meaninglessness and exhaustion? Mm. So in other words, I, you know you're going to get people who just say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm depressed, I can't go. But on, when you get en masse mm. this kind of behaviour, it seems to me that it's like, you know what, it's just too much. You, we're battered to death. It's just one damn thing after another. Yeah. And I just wonder whether there is a form of cultural exhaustion there. I, I think there is, but I think the, the word culture is important there because there's also the idea of community and society. And community and society is so fragmented now, people don't feel as though they need to contribute by working. You know, you contribute no, to true. your society because yeah, you are yeah. part of a society, yeah. you're part of a community. If you don't feel that, if your life is, for example, all online, you know, or, you're, you're, or you don't know your neighbours, or you live in, a, you live in a, 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 a part of a city or a town which is, you know, populated by absolutely different kinds of people, then you're not going to feel as though you want to contribute. Yes. No, I think that's a very, very important point, yeah, fragmentation. A sense of a, a lessening of the sense of the kind of communal. Also, peer pressure. Peer, peer pressure yeah. is entirely gone. Yeah. So the idea of shame, mm. the idea shame. of shame. You know, uh, you'd all know I'm not going down. Oh, people, would, people used to sort of actually, you know, hide the fact they were signing on. Mm. I mean, you know, amazingly, you know, back in the uh, back in my youth. Well, it's um, interesting actually if you watch television and so forth. How that we've had over the last 30, 40 years a popularization of people on benefits, of people who don't mm. care, Channel 4 comedies yeah, and yeah. so forth, the royal family, which I enjoy very much, but all of this is actually celebrating lifestyles and cultures that aren't healthy mm. and it makes them more acceptable because people are being exposed to them all the time, mm. whereas you contrast that to you know, the era before that, and it wasn't, it was about strivers, it was about, you know, it was just mm. about people having very productive mm. lives mm. and healthy lives, mm. and now we sort of celebrate the couch potato, mm. you know, the things mm. like goggle box and so forth, you know, it's just all the whole idea of just sitting there watching television mm. or being on benefits, if you watch these soap operas on, on you know, on, on can ITV. You, can you imagine, you know, there was a time, I mean, you know, there used to be plays about it, where men would go out in the morning with mm. their case and suit, mm. rather than the wife know, they've been fired mm. or something. Mm. I mean, it's just another universe, isn't it? Yeah. Speaking of other universes, Germany now. Um, now, this is really quite serious. I don't know if you've read about this, but what, yeah, it's just very recent. It's that there have been calls, or should we say hints as well, from high up, i.e. the German president, for example, uh, that in fact the AFD, which you might know is now well, in the polls, it's the second party in Germany. 
should be banned. Uh, for the benefit of our viewers, Rave, can you sort of fill in the a AFD emerged, what, about 15 years ago, didn't they? And they're now on about, I think they were voted for by about last time, by about 10% of people. That's right. And they're now between one-fifth to a quarter of the German population mm. would vote for them if there were an election held tomorrow, AFD Alternative for Deutschland, which is really the, the populist party, the main populist party in Germany, functioning, I suppose, the, the, way, that UK, the way that UKIP did here you know, mm. a, a, a decade ago, and you saw the huge explosion of yeah. support for UKIP. Now, as we saw with UKIP and with the Brexit party, we've seen the mainstream media and the main political parties trying to other them mm. by saying that they are beyond the pale and they are extreme, uh, mm. much the same way that we, we heard, you know, even, even we still hear today about GB News, for example, mm. the same arguments. Now, there's no denying there are radical elements within the AFD that are unpalatable and are clearly overtly racist, but they're a fringe minority within that party. And the, the party has grown to 20, 21, 22 percent, not because suddenly there are 22 percent of fascists in Germany, it's because there are a significant demographic there as here who feel that they're not being spoken for or represented by mainstream political mm. parties. So it's become the party for the disaffected, mm. people who are concerned about the same issues that we have here, particularly mass migration. And that's why you're seeing in places like Turingen and other, and other regions of Germany which have significant problems with uh, the, the housing of, of, of illegal immigrants, a, a surge in support for this party. But the German constitution has just, just celebrated its 75th anniversary, and we've had the German president, who's supposed to be neutral mm. in much the same way that our king is neutral, mm -hmm. saying that the, rare, that the rarely known about uh, clause in the constitution allows the state to close down political parties if they're deemed to be a threat to democracy. This is, this is called defensive democracy. Defensive democracy. Yes, yeah. Now this came in 1948 because <clears throat> there were so many Nazis alive at the time and there was a general rule threat. So you could see why at that time, given what happened there, there was a need for that. But the idea that a perfectly legitimate political party expressing the, the mainstream views of you know, almost a quarter of the population should be silenced mm -hmm. Uh, there's no threat to democracy, which is the requirement of the Constitution, but yet we've had Der Spiegel, one of the main newspapers, mm -hmm. calling for this as well. We've had members of the SDP in Germany and the Christian Democrats supporting this neutral president in this you know, coded language he used, but we all know referring to AFD, is very threatening and, and very worrying. And all it does to do these sorts of things just serve to convince those who would vote for the AFD that yes, there is a conspiracy mm -hmm. out to silence them, and that all the other parties are singing from, their hymn, from the same hymn sheet and are determined to do everything to thwart the real needs of these people. Isn't it, uh, AFD is predominantly an anti-immigration party, isn't it? Wouldn't that be right to say? Yes, yes. I mean, it it's like that's its main plank. That's its main plank, yeah. but it, but it it appeals to the same things yeah, that yeah. we have in this country too, yeah. in terms of the economy and so forth. Yeah, I mean, just 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 reading this story, it, it just makes me think of other things, and and it's a key thing that's that reflects so much in the culture, and it's that there's a central and very aggressive contradiction, isn't there? That to save democracy as they say they want to do they've got to be authoritarian in which to do that mm. and we live in a culture which we that constantly happens in every area of, of public life doesn't it you know so to be inclusive i'm just thinking about comedy unleashed the, the story where the um uh, they've just been thrown out of a, a, a venue in, in Edinburgh, the Edinburgh fin, Fringe, because this 
um, this venue wants to be inclusive, so yeah. they're going to exclude comedy. It's Graham Lyon. It's Graham Lyon and Andrew Doyle. Um, so you know that that's that that's one contradiction that that people buy into. Another one is to be anti-racist, you have to be overtly racist, and that's probably going to touch on a story that we might talk about in a minute. But we navigate all of these very aggressive contradictions and. Most people just accept it. Mm. You cannot accept that, you know, to achieve democracy and to protect democracy, you have to marginalise, you know, one of the biggest parties in the country. It's just mm. absurd. Well, and also, of course, the fact is, if you ban the party, it doesn't make the underlying issues go away. No, the people will still have the same concerns. Mm. And in fact, they'll just be increasingly radicalised. I mean, this is what gets me, you know, we're often told that the reason so many Muslims are extremists or become terrorists is because of seeing what Western governments have done in the Middle East. Yeah. Well, I would say what Western governments are doing in their own homeland is radicalizing the populations of, populations of Europe. And so it's no surprise that we're seeing this. If they really wanted to make the AFD go away or minimize the AFD, they would simply need to address the issues. Mm -hmm. If they got a handle on immigration, if they got a handle on, you know, on, the, on inflation and the economic crisis that's happening, if they tried to erode the, tried to erode the divisions that are dividing society, mm -hmm. then you would see a natural hemorrhaging of support away from those populations who've come to it relatively recently and back to the mainstream party. But it's not rocket science. But in order to do that, they have to change everything. Yeah. Because as I was saying before, everything's connected. It's a whole ideological framework that they have to dismantle. So it's never going to happen. But, but we're, seeing, well, we're seeing the Tory party now in its dying embers, realising that, right? Mm. And now the Tory party is trying to act more right wing by throwing these mm. dead cats, yes. you know, yes. two minutes to midnight on the electoral cycle. <laughs> <laughs> you think, um, the thing is, with the AFD, first of all, they, they, they got up to 12.5%, I think, in the aftermath of that huge migration of Angela Merkel, yeah. the million people. They went down to 10-something, um, but now, as you say, they're right, they're up there again on, you know, in, the percent, in the polls. Why have they suddenly gone up? Well, because Germany has experiencing very much the same sort of issues that we're experiencing here with mm -hmm. immigration. They were the, I would have thought, wouldn't you, if a million people were coming, that would have been the point, wow. That oh, but, but you also have to remember that with Germany also, there are great, there are great economic crises now, and the yeah. economy was always the most stable thing mm -hmm. in Germany. Mm -hmm. It was its greatest badge of honour. And, and, and now, yeah, and they, they're in recession, they've got inflation running rampant, and of course you still have the, the issue where you have people's towns now have lots of immigrants in sports halls, yeah. in communities centers being housed and people say look it's in times of economic crisis of course we know that those sorts of things become more mm. more uh, real mm. I mean what are the chances of it actually being banned do you think I mean is this just blow you know blow harding I'm tempted to say it won't be banned because if, if, if they do ban it I'm, I'm sure there'll be riots in the streets you know, you can't, you can't just take away a party for, for so, that so many people are invested in, so many people would vote for, and so many people will vote for. If, if you just take that away, then you, you, you tear the whole thing down. It will be a terrible affront to democracy, and I would hope that the, whole thing the, down. The, the Western governments elsewhere would, would condemn this outright, irrespective of what side of the, of the divide they stand on. And I, 
would hope that this will be a big test for German courts mm. because the AFD would appeal this to the courts and the, the governments would have to show that the AFD is an actual real threat to democracy mm. and I've not seen anything that they've done that would mean that they would, no. they would tear down and dismantle the constitution and the democratic system or the electoral system uh, and you have to remember of course that they're nowhere near, near to being a, nowhere near to being a majority anyway they're, they're very very far short of that well no but of course it's just a psychological thing isn't it they mm. All they need to do is to get a reasonable amount more. I'm not sure of how many seats they have now, mm. but you know, we're, we're in this country used, aren't we, to people having like one or two seats. Mm. So if you get over 20, you're doing quite, I would have thought, quite well. Mm. Um, would you vote for them if you were in Germany? I don't know. Difficult to say. I'd need to, I'd need to study them a lot more yeah, before yeah. I could make a decision like that. If I understood them to be the German version of UKIP, then, uh, UKIP as it was, then, then yes, I probably would. You see, as I understand it, UKIP, uh, like, it was more of a, like, um, a Pujardist, uh, it was, it was um, like a, a Gaullist uh, party. Mm. You know, it was mm. like a sort of small town mm. English party. But, the FT has always had this thing which the National Front in France had, mm. you know, where the Holocaust denial around the edging, yeah, edges, yeah, you know. I mean, so, but no, none of this changes the, the central point. Mm. Is that, you know, I suppose, is it understandable? Is it understandable? I suppose, in a way, given the history of the country, maybe it's understandable that they're doing it. I'm not saying it's right. But you can see where it's coming from. Oh yeah, well you can see where well you can see why it's in the constitution mm. for the reasons I explained. Historically, and, you, and historically, uh, because there were so many real Nazis, forget neo Nazis, there were genuine Nazis on the ground at the time, and we know of course how sensitive Germans mm. are. That's why you have the banning of the swastika and so forth in Germany, which you know I wouldn't support it in this country out of freedom. Although I'd love to see the hammer and sickle also banned here. Ideally, mm. but I know that as a free speech, I can't do mm. that. So you, we, we understand that the, the, the sentimentality there. Mm. Also, the Germans loathe themselves more than anyone else in Europe. This mm. whole idea of cultural loathing, which we think is bad here, mm. is nothing compared to Germany, yeah, where they actually despise yeah. not just their Nazi history, mm. but also their Prussian history as well. Mm. Uh, and so, um, yeah, so anyway. But just in terms of common sense, if, if something's going to compound the problem, if something's going to erode confidence in, in the state, if something's going to erode confidence in the system, then, then doing that is obviously the most stupid thing to do. Mm. Speaking of sort of division and, and such like, uh, finishing this week on this story about a new festival in sort of being championed by the Lord Mayor of London, no he's not the Lord Mayor, sorry, the Mayor of London, mm. Sadiq Khan. Uh, we still have a Lord Mayor in the city of London, but anyway, um, called Black on the Square, which is a festival devoted to the cult, uh, cult, black culture. I'm, mm. I'm not paraphrasing. This is, this is, these are the actual mm. words used. Mm. So it's up to you to decide which black culture we're talking about. You know, are we talking about Ghanaian? Are we talking about Nigerian? What are we talking about? Well, according to him, it's just one homogenous whole. Yes. You know, the, the interesting thing, there, there isn't too much um, about that in, in the papers. There's a, there's a press release, I think, that the Evening Standard pretty much just kind of uh, published. But one of the things that really strikes me about it, um, the way they're presenting this, it's the most cliched, uh, mm. tired version of what 
people think black culture, you know, that homogenous mm. thing, mm. black culture should be. Uh, interestingly, though, they've thrown a, an LGBTQI++ thing in there as well. So it's LGBTQI++ for um, POC, you know. So uh, what, do you, what, do, what, do, what do you mean? What, they're taking part or what? Is well, there's a, there's a, there's a platform, um, uh, queer, I can't remember what it's called now, but there's a platform specifically for people of colour. Uh, to meet and 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 have and indulge in queer lifestyles. Right. Um, so there's lots That's of. It's going to go down really well with some of the Jamaicans and Nigerians. There's loads of rappers. Um, it's it's all of the cliched stuff. You know, it's all of the stereotypical stuff yes. that that people think you have to like if if you're black. And it's and it's actually a real insult to. to I, black see, I could understand. You know, I mean, I could understand if you wanted to do a festival on. You know. The Nigerian community's yeah, yeah. Uh, contribution to Or that. the Caribbean, you could yeah, do Yeah, or, or whatever it is. But just to say black, it's just like saying white. You mm. know, it's the same thing. Well, that's what I was thinking, you know. I mean, you know, St. Lucia and, you know, Sudan. <laughs> There's not much you have in common there, or Burundi and Brixton. Yes. You know, and I was just trying to think, imagine we had a thing in Trafalgar Square where you had, I know, the Dutch and New Zealanders and Italians and French Canadians all together. Yeah. Wouldn't make a damn bit of sense, would it? People going, uh, what's going on? Yes. You throw the Hungarians in there and you've, and you've got, the, you've got the whole thing. And yeah. some Swiss in there and you've got yeah. to write next. But that's the problem. But firstly, of course, it would never happen because the idea of having a white culture celebration is so far beyond the pale. I mean, you'd be uh, well, expelled, exiled from London just for, for, for just suggesting it, you know. And it reminded me actually of, uh, but I would like to see actually for once an English celebration of English culture. But even that's beyond the pale now to expect the mayor to actually have a wholesome celebration of English folk music, mm. English classical music, mm. you know, poetry readings, drama that we've done in the past. That would be a wonderful spe spectacle to see. And it, you know, it reminds me of when Ken Livingston was mayor. Mm. And I wrote a piece at the time called Red Ken Goes Green, where he gave his full-hearted support and funding for a St. Patrick's Day parade. Yeah. But he said that a St. George's Day parade would be racist in London, the capital of England, you know, I mean, the nonsense. <laughs> yes, no, exactly. Uh, and, uh, well, you see, the thing is, is that the, the case for uh, a St. George's Day celebration, which there is actually, technically one, uh, but the case for it is getting thinner because, of course, you know, uh, white British are a minority of 37% in London now. But, mm. but no, I, I totally agree. There is this thing that they do now um, on St. George's Day, but it's a kind of, it passes without much comment. You mm. know, it, no one knows it's really there, mm. you know. And I, I think, it, you know, a few Morris dancers gather and everything. But, I mean, you know, but it's too cliched yeah, and it's not the real sort yeah, of a thing. A few pearly kings and queens. A couple of knights on horseback and yes, that's it. Exactly. But, but there needs to be a proper celebration of, yes. of true English culture and of, his, of England's achievements as well, its history. You can see grand panoramas, you know, all the sort of things that you would have expected to see mm. in the 1970s and 60s and 50s. Mm. And I have particularly because, sorry, just to go on, because London, remember, is the capital of England. So even though the majority of London may no longer be white British, mm. England still is majority white British, and you would expect your capital city. And, you know, when, when Britain left the EU, they took the EU flag down outside City Hall and let, leaving it blank, and you had the Union flag and the City of London assembly flag, mm. and this empty flag, and I wrote to City Hall and I said, it's about time you put up the St George's Cross. Mm. And what do they do? They put up another flag of City of London assembly. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 exactly. And uh, in fact, uh, during that period, uh, it used to be question after question, mm. the mm. Mayor's question time, when is that flag going to come down? Mm. He kept it up 
for as long as he could. Mm. He the said, EU flag, yeah. Yes, and he said, my beloved EU. I remember mm. him sort of saying, and I just thought, you know, it, was, it got to the point where everyone was joking about it, you mm. know. But, I mean, I think uh, what I would say when it comes to Trafalgar Square is just give the poor square a break for a while. I'm yeah. sick of seeing things, yeah, yeah. covering it mm. every time you walk past. Just let it breathe and just be a square for a while, don't you think? Well, I, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think, is, is this going to happen? I think it's, is it the 2nd of September? Yes. It's quite, it's quite yeah. soon, isn't it? Mm. So bearing in mind what happens every year at Notting Hill Carnival, um, you know, when you, uh, th there might well be, because this is people getting together um, and, the, and the, the impetus of the whole thing is, is, is simply about colour of skin. Um, people are, you know, not, not connected in, in, in meaningful ways, I don't think. It'll just be interesting to see what the fallout of this is and, and, and see what happens. Yes. Well, look, on that note, uh, thanks very much, Philip. Thanks. Thanks. Good to see you again, both of you. And um, well, you're actually going to be away again, aren't you, for a while? I'm going to be away for a couple of yes. weeks, and then I'll be I'll be back to okay. regular appearances. All right. uh, well, watch this space. Uh, we will see you next time, and uh, we look forward to it. And in the meantime, enjoy the rest of the summer. Bye. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as £3 per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.